Good morning. It's Monday, the 18th of December, and this is Govind Raj Ethiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital. Before we start, just a quick reminder: as always, you can join this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube, among other streaming platforms, at 6 a.m. weekdays in India, 8:30 a.m. in Singapore and Hong Kong, and 7:30 p.m. the previous evening in New York City. Our top stories and themes for the day. A week that broke several records in the stock markets and reversed many trends. Could it continue? India's exports are steady, but imports fall sharply, including that of gold. Almost 95% of fresh power investments are in renewable. The International Solar Alliance steps up. Four large media players, Sony, Z Reliance, and Viacom, could become two. What does that mean? And Lufthansa will resume flights to Tel Aviv in three weeks' time. This is a core report with Govindraj Ethiraj. Markets and records. It was a week of new records in the stock markets over last week. Let me begin with what happened on Friday as a Federal Reserve driven rally continued on the bourses with the Sensex ending up at 71484. That's up 970 points just on Friday and the Nifty 50 ending at 21457 or up 274 points. India's equities have now continued their forward run some may even call it a bull run for the seventh consecutive week which in turn makes it the longest weekly advance in 6 years so all of last week the sensex rose about 1658 points or 2.3% the combined market valuation of nine of the top 10 most valued firms jumped about 226000 crores last week with tcs and infosys emerging as the top gainers Now do note that software companies are benefiting from this new positive interest rate trend projected in the United States translated it perhaps means that lower interest rates means spending could increase when i say lower interest rates i mean in the United States and that could help it or information technology firms now that's the external reason the internal one is that money is flowing or rather if it flows into stocks then these are the bigger companies or large cap stocks that one would traditionally bet on speaking of money flowing in Foreign institutional investors, as we've been discussing in recent days, are now back after a holiday at a time when they usually take holidays. FIs have already pumped in more than 2.5 billion dollars into domestic equities in just five days, which, of course, or rather, in turn, was higher than the week before. A quick reminder: the U.S. Federal Reserve or central bank left the federal funds target range unchanged at 5.25 to 5.5 percent last week, and then gave a guidance for a cumulative 75 basis points. rate cut or series of rate cuts in 2024 so back to fii's in december their net inflows have already touched 4 billion dollars equivalent to what has been seen in the month of july this year remember that august september october were for lack of any other term dry months meanwhile after a break the rupee has strengthened quite sharply given its sluggish to weak behavior in the recent weeks and rose by about 33 paise to close at 83 rupees Now it would be interesting to see if the rupee changes track and tack here onwards given that most watchers particularly in the forex space are projecting that it will stay weak or stay within a weaker band. Gold is going strong with 10 grams of 24 karat gold selling at around 63000 rupees depending on where you are in India or where you are buying with prices of course differing slightly city to city. And crude oil snaps a two-week losing streak. And here is our energy segment supported by India Energy Week. Crude oil prices have rallied the most in a month following that same 
dovish comments from the U.S. Federal Reserve, which hinted at interest rates going down. Brent crude futures concluded the week at about $76.78 per barrel and were quoting around $76.55 over the weekend. So a shade above $76, a shade under $77 a barrel. Now, the overall, both Brent and West Texas Intermediate are on track for their third consecutive monthly loss. U.S. gasoline inventories have risen as of U.S. crude oil exports, while on the demand side, projections, including from the International Energy Agency, or IEA, are saying that less oil will be consumed in 2024, actually by almost 400,000 barrels a day, to be specific. So while there will be growth, the pace will slow down, with IEA saying it will almost halve next year to about 1.1 million barrels a day. So the energy segment was supported by the India Energy Week that starts on February 6th, 2024 in Goa. For more details, log on to www.indiaenergyweek.com. And for now, do hang on as we have more energy insights later in the show. Exports are steady, imports fall sharply. The pace of India's exports continues to be weak, though India's merchandise trade deficit narrowed sharply to about $21 billion in November from the previous month's record levels as imports of gold, petroleum and electronic goods slowed down, according to government data that was released on Friday. India's merchandise exports in November stood at about $34 billion. In the previous month, they were at about $34 billion too, but a few million lower. Imports for November were at about $54 billion in contrast to the previous month's imports of $65 billion. So, November saw a wild festival demand-led gold buying spree and imports of that have actually halved now from about $7 billion in October through about $3.5 billion in November, according to an analysis of government data by Reuters. Now, last year or 2022 saw Diwali being celebrated in October, in case you were wondering whether the figures were being accurately compared. Interestingly, imports of petroleum products were 22% lower in November and electronic goods imports showed also a decline at 17%. GST return filers increase. The number of goods and service tax returns filers rose about 65% to about 11 million in five years till April 2023 as compliance by taxpayers has improved, the finance ministry said on Sunday. Also, the number of active taxpayers registered under GST has increased from about 10.6 million in April 2018 to about 14 million now. So that 11 million figure of GST users should give you a sense on the width of those enterprises or individuals paying GST. The GST was rolled out on July 1st, 2017 and in turn overrode several local taxes, thankfully, like excise, service tax and octroi. Octroi is a term that many Mumbai cars will fondly remember or perhaps not. Surat Boss, and who's batting for Mumbai? The Prime Minister Narendra Modi inaugurated the Surat Diamond Boss in Gujarat on Sunday. It's built on 36 acres of land, costs about 3,400 crores or 3,400 crores, and is pitched to become a global centre for rough and polished diamond trading. It will also have a customs clearance house for import, export, a jewellery mall for retail jewellery, and a facility for international banking and safe walls. 
The Diamond Boss is apparently the world's largest interconnected building. It's bigger than the Pentagon and houses over 4,500 interconnected offices. It can house about 4,200 traders from 175 countries who could come to Surat to buy polished diamonds. Surat dominates in the processing of diamonds with about 90% of the world's rough diamonds cut and polished in Surat before they're sold or sent to markets in the United States and China. The new boss aims to centralize the industry under one roof. Eli Isakoff, honorary president of the World Federation of Diamond Bosses, told Bloomberg that Surat is a major cutting center and a diamond exchange is long overdue, adding that dealers from all over the world can do business from a secured and centralized place with confidence. The new complex is located inside the Diamond Research and Mercantile City, a business district modeled after the Gujarat International Finance Tech City or Gift City, and more of that in a moment. It also has nine 15-storey towers and about 4,700 offices, of which about 130 are reportedly already in use. Now, between the International Finance Centre, or Gift City near Ahmedabad, and the Diamond Boss in Surat, about 267 kilometres away, Gujarat is obviously giving Mumbai or Maharashtra some tough competition, which is of course great and desirable as competition between states ought to benefit the nation as a whole. It is, of course, somewhat unfortunate that the city of Mumbai is not fighting back in any form or shape that I can see. My sense is that if you were to rewind a few decades, there would have been leaders in the public and private sector who would have been actively brainstorming on how to make Mumbai more attractive or come up with alternative options, or at least have some strategy, even if it was to do nothing. Presently, the issue of Mumbai's competitive position is mostly a non-issue. There seems to be almost no discussion with most political focus seemingly on completing a few but desirable infrastructure projects that were launched a few years ago and most of them like the city's new metro system lying half complete and the other half in a near abandoned state in South Mumbai. Admittedly, progress is being made underground and someday it will all be visible above ground as well but in the meanwhile. Mumbai of course rides on its traditional strengths of being a finance hub for over a century or more. Taking that badge away is not going to be simple. But resting on one's laurels is not a good idea either. I do wish someone would take ownership of the city's future, as many have wished in the past. Coastal roads, bridges and metros are a most welcome addition, but they will serve little purpose if the city itself is unable to host new businesses or types of businesses or constantly offer itself as a model of reinvention. Tesla Car Imports Now to an issue that we've been discussing in recent months on the core report, the unfairness of a possible proposal to allow Tesla to import cars into India at low duties and without the mandatory local value addition stipulation, something all other foreign car companies who've been investing in India in the last few decades have had to meet, which is that if you want to sell in India, then manufacture in India. So the latest is that the government is formally saying it is not considering reducing taxes on imported electric vehicles. Som Parkash, Junior Minister and the Minister of Commerce and Industry, told Parliament last week, as reported by Bloomberg, that there was no proposal either to provide an exemption from local value addition cost or to provide a subsidy on the import duty on electric vehicles in India. Now, this statement seems to directly impact or affect what a Tesla has reportedly been considering. Mr. Parkash said that existing policies under the government's Make in India push are aimed at encouraging domestic and foreign investment in the electric vehicle industry. So the earlier thinking was that the government would have allowed international companies to import electric cars on concessional tax rates if they want to commit to eventually manufacturing in India, Bloomberg News reported last month. The new entertainment landscape post-mergers. 
India's media and entertainment industry has been buzzing with action also thanks to the waves of consolidation that are sweeping it. Two key developments are awaited. First, a much delayed merger between Sony and Z Entertainment could happen though a two-year time frame for it is expiring and is going by reports sought to be renewed. A renewal of that time frame if it happens would mean that the merger is still on track. The second is a potential buyout of Disney's India assets or key chunks of it by Reliance and its entertainment arm which as you know includes Jio Cinema amongst others. So the point here is that instead of four largish players we'll have two giantish players. Assuming that there is no competition commission issues in all of this there could be some changes if not significant ones in the entertainment landscape. I reached out to Karan Torani senior vice president and entertainment analyst of Mumbai based Elara Capital and I began by asking him to define the present and potential media and entertainment landscape. So I think if you look at the landscape let's talk about TV landscape first you know TV has the largest share after digital as far as advertising dollars is concerned if you look at the overall india ad market it's about a 1 lakh crore market size and within that close to about 1/3 is by tv about 45% is digital so almost 80% of this market is dominated by tv and digital about 75 to 80% This is lower than the global averages because global averages digital alone is about 65 to 70%. So in a market like India TV is very much short to stay because TV as a segment is kind of low arpus and very well penetrated as far as masses is concerned. Now if you talk about the landscape and the market share dynamics within so within the TV industry if you look at Disney the other leaders in terms of the advertising segment they've got a market share of around 33 34%. That's followed by players like you know Sony C and Viacom each of them would have a market share of somewhere close to 11 to 12%. So I mean these four players literally have a 65 to 70% control in terms of TV ad market share. Now that's on the TV side. On the digital side it's a very different story. The market is heavily fragmented as I said you know digital market is somewhere close to 45000 odd crores, you know 45% of the overall ad market size. Within that surge social global giant have a very large share. almost 65 to 70% of the share is controlled by google and meta kind of companies the balance 30% is split amongst ott platforms e-commerce companies influencer affiliate display advertising and everything put together so i think that is the game you know wherein how are they going to scale up digital opportunities because if you look at the if you put all four ott platforms together let's take the likes of you know jio cinema which is by ycom ot let's take the like of you know z5 sony live and even disney plus or star all these ott platforms put together would not have more than 5 to 6000 crores in terms of potential ad revenue so that's how small they are as far as digital ad segment is concerned whereas if you look at the linear tv side they are sizably quite large and when you say digital you mean streaming and the advertising on web or or is it only streaming it's basically streaming it's purely advertising revenue what i'm talking about because as i said the market is heavily dominated by the non video platforms which is specifically social and search so whatever the market is basically this is also excluding of youtube tv we movies web series they don't make more than 6000 crores of ad revenue and it's useful karan that you've used ad revenue as the lead indicator because i guess that shows you where the money is and therefore what the value is okay next question so you know we are looking at two imminent mergers sony and z takeover stroke merger the work for which started a while ago it's been held up in all kinds of regulatory issues there is a mild question mark even today whether that merger will go through but 
though it seems it's going to. The second, of course, the big one, which is Disney and Reliance. Again, talks have been on, but there seem to be various mini hurdles, mostly coming from Disney's own inability to make up its mind, given their own perhaps situation or how it's been changing. So either way, if we were to assume that one or both of these mergers were to happen, or they were to become one company each, what do you see happening? So in terms of their merger, it's been more than two years now, but I think by December 21st, there is some sort of a cutoff date where we definitely get some kind of fatty in terms of where the merger is heading. And we maintain our view that there's a very high probability of the merger going through because of various reasons. And I think once the merger goes through, they will have a sizable command on the market. As I mentioned, on the TV side, they will become the second largest broadcaster after Disney. So Disney put together has about 34%, 33%. They would stand somewhere 25% ad market share. As far as digital is concerned, again, they won't be sizably large. But yeah, I mean, if you look at, you know, both these platforms put together in terms of the award market opportunity, even after assuming YouTube having a sizable share over there, which is around 15,000 crore market is the award market size, purely video advertising. Within that, they would have a market share of about 12 to 15% as per our assessment. Both these platforms, Zephi and Sony, they put together. So they'll have a sizable chunk of market. Once this merger goes through, there'll be a lot of new changes that will happen. The company will become revamped completely into like an MNC approach kind of a company. Cost measures, specifically on the content cost, because digital-wise, most of the OT platforms in India, in fact, everyone is making heavy losses because of content costs, you know, being very elevated. Plus, on the linear TV side, there'll be synergies. There'll be synergies are a possibility as well because the platforms are, you know, becoming larger. Consolidation is happening. And potentially, you could also see revenue synergies because they could actually, you know, end up, you know, hiking advertisement prices also over the medium to long term. So these are the opportunities, you know, which are there for the Z-Sony merger specifically. Second, if the RIL-Disney merger goes through, then I think these two entities are the only ones that are going to actually rule the media industry. At one end, you'd have Reliance, and at the other end, you'll have, you know, Sony. Now, the problem with Reliance and Disney is that there is a very huge overlap. So if you look at Sony and Z, there is very little overlap because Sony is more in terms of urban-centric audience sports, and Z has always been in terms of regional and rural and, you know, tier two and tier three markets. They also have an urban offering, but their predominant focus has been in those markets in terms of channels. But if you look at Reliance and Disney, rather Ycom 18 and Disney, I think there is a big overlap. They are both very much heavily focused in terms of urban genres. And regional genres, if you see Disney is a leader, but Ycom 18 is, you know, upcoming over there in that segment. So we really do not know in terms of, you know, how will CCI give such an approval if at all, you know, this kind of a thing goes through on the linear TV side because as I mentioned the numbers, if you take 33, 34 Disney on linear TV and about 10% of Wycom on linear TV, they will command 43 to 44%. In the case of Z Sony also, once the approvals were given, certain number of channels were asked to shut down, about two or three Hindi channels were asked to shut down and some other genres. And that's when the approval came in. So I think the bigger question mark is, will they get the regular approval on the linear TV side? Because they're going to become very much sizable. But if at all it happens, as I say, you know, these four entities will command a 65 to 70% market share on the linear TV side. Now, coming to the digital side, you know, Hotstar, obviously, after IPL going away, they've lost a large count of subscribers. They've lost close to, you know, more than 40 million of their paid subscriber base, 40% of their paid subscriber base, rather. If you look at their award revenue, that has also become less than half. Potentially, in FI24 is what we foresee because IPL would drive a large chunk of the advertising revenue also for them. So all that advertising revenue has kind of moved out to GeoCinema as a platform. And GeoCinema is able to make more advertisement revenue because they are giving IPL free. So the point I'm trying to make here is that on the digital side as well, if you look at Hotstar, when they had IPL, they had an ad market share of about 25 to 28%. 
which will now fall down to 8-10% after IPL. And if you look at Geo Cinema, they were somewhere stuck between about, you know, 5-7% to ad market share, which will eventually move to 25-30% because they are offering IPL free. So the moment you offer IPL free, you are able to make more ad dollars because you're not charging subsequently. You have a larger reach and a larger audience put together, which is there. So this is how the landscape will evolve in terms of video advertising. All these platforms put together could have a potential market share of about 45%. And in terms of the linear TV side, they have a potential market share of about 65 to 70%. Right. And in the case of Sony and Z, it's, I'm assuming it's almost a merger of equals. But in the case of Reliance and Disney, obviously Reliance is the smaller company taking over the bigger one. Yes, at least on the linear TV side, one would say so. But on the digital side, Geo Cinema today as an offering is far bigger as compared to what Hotstar would be. Got it. Okay. Karan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Kovan. Always a pleasure to be there. The Solar Alliance Get Set Seeking to electric and the generation of it, the International Solar Alliance is setting and leading the global agenda in many ways in solar investments. Set up between India and France, it's an intergovernmental treaty organization with 118 member countries and still growing. Massive amounts of funds are flowing into the solar sector globally in the past few years and last year it was in excess of $310 billion, though 74% of it went to the OECD, which is mostly European countries and China. How can and will that change as in more countries including India stepping up their investments in solar energy and where do we stand now? I spoke with Dr. Ajay Mathur, Director General of the International Solar Alliance and I asked him about the cost of solar and its competitiveness including the major projects planned. Can you give us numbers for capital cost per megawatt today in solar versus let's say conventional fossil fuel based like coal? So Owen, let's look at a uh, 100 megawatt coal plant, which we know, which operates at 85% availability. This would cost somewhere in the vicinity of about 900 crores today. Equivalent amount of electricity round the clock being produced by solar plus wind plus battery would cost about 1900, 1950 crores, somewhere in that vicinity. So it's almost double the cost. But the cost of electricity and this is also at 85% availability. It's interesting and it's important, I guess, to note for people who are looking at it from outside like me that you are considering all these together. You're looking at solar plus wind plus storage as a package. As a package. And as a package, it's able to provide the firm electricity because when the sun isn't shining, the wind is there. When the solar and wind are not there, we're getting the electricity from batteries. So when you compute this cost of the capital expenditure, are you including the cost of land as well or is that outside? Yes, 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 yes. The cost of land is very much there. The cost of land is typically between 2 and 5% depending on where you are in the country. And very recently, the government of Gujarat has set aside a piece of land for about 30,000 megawatts, 30 gigawatts. So they have solar space for solar there, they have space for wind there, and they have space for storage their batteries. I think you can meet all the demands of 2030 in about the land which will be approximately 20% of the entire Thar desert. So it's quite possible that we can find the space. Now, I don't want all of it to be based in the Thar desert. It has to be across the country. But the point is, land will probably not be an issue 
the availability of land to developers will be an issue. Right. And when you say 20% of the Thar Desert could power how much? This could power somewhere in the vicinity of about 1100 gigawatts of capacity. So this will be our demand in 2030. Right. India's entire one-year demand, I mean, or for, for that matter, even subsequent years, can be handled by the 20% of the Thar Desert, at least the land part of it, and if you would obviously set up solar panels and wind energy and so on. Correct. You can catch that full interview on the Core Report's weekend edition that played out the previous Saturday. Indefinite war, business tries to return to as usual. The Israel-Hamas war started on October 7th and more than two months on, while the war continues, almost like an indefinite war, as wars around the world are increasingly turning into, unfortunately, some stability appears to be coming in. Bloomberg is reporting that Lufthansa, the German airline, is resuming flights to Tel Aviv early next month after suspending the service earlier, becoming one of the first major carriers to return to Israel. The German carrier will start flying from January 8th with four weekly trips from Frankfurt and three from Munich. It said in a statement, and Austrian Airlines, which is a Lufthansa subsidiary, is planning eight weekly connections, while the Swiss airline unit will provide five flights, Lufthansa said. The airline also said that it continues to monitor the security situation in Israel closely and is in close contact with the local and international authorities, and there could be flight schedule adjustments thanks to changing conditions. In total, the Lufthansa group will lift capacity to about 30% of the regular schedule, and will deploy Airbus A320 aircraft on the route. Lufthansa also said that it has resumed previously suspended flights to Beirut on December 15th. On that note that connections are finally resuming, I do wish you a great week ahead and see you tomorrow. That was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter for our exclusive stories, one in-depth feature a day on www.thecore.in. Do also track us on LinkedIn, where we usually post synopses or extracts of our top stories and interviews. We would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant, including, of course, India's vibrant manufacturing sector. So write to us at feedback at the core.in. And thank you once again for listening.